This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I have the pleasure of uh, inviting Glenn Forehand to the podcast. And for one, just get this right out of the way, he's a really good dude because when Danielle, my wife, is going through some health things in the hospital, he reached out privately and offered to come down to the shop and fill my shoes, essentially elbow me out of a job because he had shown up. Then my boss would have seen what a real tech can do, and then I would have been job hunting. So that's the truth. Former small town business owner who's transitioning to some mobile with a interesting dilemma that I think we're going to talk about some other time. But today we're going to want to talk about programming. Before we get rolling too quickly here, though, let's thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. Are you tired of searching for trained technicians? If so, let Napa Auto Tech help you with Build a Tech from their Build a Tech program. These three-day courses cover one of four topics, brakes, electrical, steering, and suspension, or HVAC, through a combination of classroom lecture, hands-on, and utilizing training mock-ups. Visit NapaAutoTech.com. So thank you for joining me, Glenn. Thanks for having me. And uh, quit bullshitting your audience there about losing a job. My God, I'd be a luby at your shop. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I can replace wiper blades pretty good. <laughs> See, I can't even get that down. <laughs> you do the techie hard stuff. I could probably do like six or seven sets of wiper blades a day. <laughs> I'll power up your scan tool for you. <laughs> I think that's got to be close to beating flat rate. I don't know. Let me throw it out there quick for your support your advertisement too for the small town. Big, big Napa fan here. They've treated me fantastic. So They're nice to me. They answer my emails. They have a lot of stuff, actually. The more I've dealt with them, the more I've learned about what they all do uh, kind of across the board with their kind of apprenticeship program. It's not even that. It's more like almost a career path. And it's very well fleshed out. I don't know who else has something quite that well fleshed out yet with, you know, a path, recommended things for a, a management to provide or direct the apprentice or the technician, whatever, and then the links to the online training and then instructor led. And I had no idea. And then equipment sales. I had no freaking idea that Napa sold as much equipment as they did. Like I had no idea. By far too been the best price on Milwaukee. I've found hands down beat everyone else for like 25 bucks on a $200 purchase or something. You know, they've tried to be real helpful to me. Uh, so, you know, I, I definitely appreciated what they do. I don't think my business was paying all their bills, but they acted like it. And I thought that was pretty cool. At least my store, anything they could possibly do to help, they were on it like right now. And that went all the way up to their district reps and all that. So that's pretty good advice, actually. Just thinking at the front counter, even treating every customer like they pay all your bills. I don't know that we ever really think that way. You know, at least another, a perspective to kind of consider treating every customer like they pay all your bills. We never know when they might, at least for the month, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not a big butt kisser to customers, very straight up dude, but I do try to treat people with respect. You know, if I advise someone on their car, I give them the same advice I give my mother is kind of what I go by. That's my compass, I guess. Yeah, but treating people good, it, look, I'm giving them a, a shout out. <laughs> you know, today it does help in ways we don't always see it. They haven't helped me with programming, though, <laughs> Why we're here. They probably have a class on it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> Go Napa. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you are talking about programming uh, a few days ago. So I should have grabbed the freaking magazine. I don't know why I didn't bring it with me. But it was um, a very surprising number, and I think it was P10 did a survey looked to me like predominantly shop owner, shop managers responded to the survey. And one of the questions was, you know, how many of you are doing programming? I think it was hovering slightly below or slightly above 50%. I find that fascinating to me on the high side of reality, because I'm thinking around where I live. And again, I think the last few episodes, I might be living in a bubble, but independent shops. There's maybe two other shops around me that do any level of programming. Right. There's zero here. 
I don't know how they do it. Just for our shop alone, we're doing programming one car a day at least. It's usually more, some way, somehow. And then you add the work we do for collision shops. That's what drives the vast majority of programming we do. That's multiple times per day. And then other repair shops, they finish something up, send it on over, or I might run over to their shop and do some programming, uh, learn keys or something, and uh, help them out that way. So... So I thought this would be a good topic. I was glad you brought it up the other day. It's something that's, you know, been frustrating here because it's like, you know, if a car comes in, you know, I have a Diag, it's BCM. I have to send them 40 minutes to the dealer, 40 minutes away. I didn't get enough flow in to justify the expense, especially um, being newer business. But it was getting to the point where I was seeing it enough. I've, I've been so tempted you know, to jump in that realm and then find out, well, what am I going to pull from other shops that are sending them, you know, far away? Am I going to save tow bills? Can I market it that way? Kind of icing on the cake, our fire truck, you know, we lost our fuel pump control module on a one ton GM. I have to send that to the dealer. And so it's like, I really got to look more into this. I get on our mutual friend on Hawkins YouTube and I see he's got the 40,000 foot overview of programming. Scares me to death at that point, to be honest with you. Well, luckily we have a good network online. Some guys might be nice enough to answer some questions if I, I get in the problems. But you get into the thing, and I know it's not so much on our domestics, but you're you know, you're hearing about breaking modules and you know, how much does this module cost? And then you have to have several different tools because there's not one tool for everything, you know, with the cost and the expense, and it kicks me, well, should I use um, OE level equipment? Should I have went that way with my diagnostic stuff? But I'm seeing a huge influx of foreign cars. And guess what they almost all are having problems with? Modules. I think the blunt answer is J2534 generic, you know, J-Box programming versus OE. I'm trying to think of a situation where J is better than OE. And there probably is. It's just escaping me. And I don't want to imply I don't use a J-Box either. There are car lines that I do not use uh, factory tools to program. Mostly because I don't have the factory tool to, to do it anyways number of car lines is dropping as I'm buying tools trying to fit the cars that I'm seeing. OE always trumps J tools simply because it seems on certain car lines or even just certain processes, J2534 can struggle or leave you hanging. OE generally doesn't. Like if you're, this is something you're starting to get into, it's really hard to just say like, you know, the big three we see in our doors is GM Ford Chrysler. So I got to get MDI or MDI2 for GM and VCM3 for Ford, you know, MDP for Chrysler. Well, that's, you know, maybe not in the grand scheme of things, a ter terrific expense, but it's an expense you may not be ready and may not give you the ROI you need right away. Now you're looking at what do I see the most of, not only just for programming, but also diagnostics. And if it's overwhelmingly Ford, it makes more sense to get a VCM3 and then subscribe to IDS, FDRS. Now you're factory level Ford. And now you have that for not just programming, but diagnostics. There's certain Ford lines that you're going to need to have your VSP to program keys. So it will take you to a portal and you're going to have to enter your credentials. So that becomes an issue if you're replacing uh, anything theft related. You're going to have to have a VSP to uh, add the keys. So it's, it's probably a good idea to go get that anyways. And then get a J2534 device for the others until you're like, okay, we're doing a terrific amount of Toyota. That was a perfect example because they're so J2534 friendly, you're pretty good to go. But you know, maybe it's Nissan, just a terrific amount of Nissan's like, okay, I got to try to get a VI2, VI3. And they're hard to come by right now. I was just going to say, and then they're like on back order right now, right? Oh, lots of them. Lots of interfaces are on intergalactic back order. So I know that's a really long winded and jump around loopy answer, but it's kind of the truth. I tried to do uh, Nissan J2534 and use the Nissan R2R and it's just always giving me fits. I get my hands on a VI2 and I have no issues now. It's just clear sailing. You know, okay, so your experience, you know, to the new guy coming in you're, and you're naming these different tools. Well, I'm using this because I had a problem with that and that and that. It's like you're speaking Chinese. I'm on the, you know, the forums enough and following enough that I, I'm following you. I remember when I didn't, though, which was not that long ago. It's such a deterrent 
a small shop or or a one man show who's trying to hire someone, and it's like, oh my god, what what are these guys going through? This is crazy. We're talking, you know, I need this tool, that tool, that tool. You start googling the prices, and then you're seeing guys that we all look up to, like yourself and Hawken, and you know all the big names in the industry, and we're watching you guys rip your hair out sometimes, and we're like, wait a minute, why would I subject myself to that? <laughs> but is it sustainable not to? And my answer, I think it is no. It is not sustainable to avoid programming. A lot of the issues, I don't know that I've really run into that many programming issues. When I do, there's other issues with the car that I probably was aware of anyways. Trying to program a module that I knew may have some network issues. You know, To get the module programmed, you can kind of get it isolated by itself. The situation I just said there where I'm I know there might be a network issue is not usually my client's car. It's uh, a shop sent it to me. They've diagnosed it. They think it needs this module. I'm struggling. And okay, I think it might have a network issue. So I don't, I don't want to imply programming is always a big headache. It can be, but it's usually more like PC type issues. And I don't mean like hardware, like your computer sucks. When you get into anything using PC, especially for us in the aftermarket, there's no one there that just really sets the stuff up, sends it to you, and away it goes. Buying a laptop or laptops, and then you're going to a a website that you find on nastf.org, N-A-S-T-F.org, or I think uh, OEM One Stop is another website that takes you to the manufacturer's website specific for aftermarket to get that program. You know, we're picking on Ford. Let's stick with it. Motorcraftservice.com. And you're going to create an account and that account's free. And then you're going to go to diagnostic tools tab. I'm going by memory here. So I might not be spot on here, but you're going to the diagnostic tools tab, open that up and you'll see like IDS and FDRS. And you don't really get to choose between the two. It's going to download both of them, but you click on that and it's going to take you to where you can pay your money to now download this software. And I think there's also a link to buy the interface. And the interface is the VCM3. It's plugs into the laptop, plugs into the DLC. It looks like many J2534 boxes. It looks like a red version of GM's MDI2, which is their interface. And I think I said something with uh, Chrysler MDP. It doesn't look like anything like one of those. It looks like a little HP tuners dongle. So that's what you're going to do. And then you download and install this firmware. And you may have to update some stuff. Uh, The domestic vehicles, specifically Ford, it's pretty easy. Like That would be a good car line to start programming on. A, just to get up and going. They have pretty good tech support for actually doing the programming. It's really forgiving. They don't make it difficult for you. And you can do it generically. You could use a JBox and a program they call FJDS. It'll look very much like the factory's firmware software, but it's only going to do the programming. And it's still a good one to start out with. You know, I've I've heard that kind of echoed too, that probably what Ford, then GM, and then Chrysler's the way behind the two. Well, Chrysler's rough. When GM works, so GM, when when you go to their website... It will have you download stuff, but that's not how you use it. So they have something called TechLine Connect. And what's nice about it is for us, you can buy an interface. You could use a JBox. I think JBox works pretty good. But I also think the MDI-2, is, it's not that expensive. Like we're talking, I think, under $1,000 for the interface. And then it's legit GM. It has a couple of advantage on the diagnostic side, or for sure one advantage, unless some of the JBoxes have picked up the ability to do it, but I don't think so. But for network analysis, GM has a, a, a tool that uses the MDI too, and it's a pretty nice program. Pedro De La Torre has some really good case studies using it. So there's an advantage to having that. And so they have this, we'll just call it a portal because that's kind of how you use it. And you can go short term. You can buy short term subscriptions, 24 hour subscription, or if you're going to program, the important part is when you're doing programming is you buy per VIN. So I think it's $45 per VIN, and that lets you program that vehicle multiple, multiple times over two years. Oh, okay. I didn't know they set it up like that. Yeah. The reason I say that is I'm pretty sure it's not unlimited. 
You can't program that car for an unlimited number of times for two years. I think it's limited by the number of modules the vehicle has. The vehicle has 10 modules. You could program the PCM 10 times in those two years. I've not run into a situation where I've ever gotten anywhere close to that. Something to keep in mind. And, And 45 bucks is not that brutal. When TechLine Connect works, GM's another good car line to to program with. The worst parts may be uh, searching for RPO codes, which might determine which calibration you're going to put into into it. And you're either looking for the sticker in the glove box or in the trunk, or you're looking for the QR code, I guess, on the side on the newer GMs, which often isn't that complete. And then hopefully in your area, you have a dealer that supports uh, something called repair link and that's a parts cataloging system that the dealers allow you to look up parts and then order from them online that does a really really good job of giving you the rpo codes and that seems to be pretty complete go to the repair link uh website paste in the vin opens up kind of that vehicle and you'll see another tab next to the vin number called vin attributes you click on that opens up a drop down or i guess a utility almost another window and it's got all the RPO codes in it for that vehicle, and that helps immensely. That's great to know that for a variety of reasons, even outside of programming. I had no idea. When you hear people complaining about programming, a lot of times it'll be GM, and it has nothing to do with them. A lot to do with TechLine Connect can be very, very finicky. And then there's a couple of tricks with it sometimes where to get it to work, you don't open it. By open it, I mean you go to... Your browser, usually Google Chrome. That's what I've been using. Been pretty good luck. But I have to run it as an administrator. Instead of just left-clicking or double-clicking left mouse button on there, you right-click, opens up that utility drop-down menu, and you select run as administrator. And that solves a lot of issues. Then it opens up. You go to the website, enter in your credentials, buy a VIN number, and then you open up TechLine Connect within that you don't go to the desktop to double click and open it there even though it downloaded something you open it up within the internet window the web browser window if you will the first time or two it's going to feel really awkward but after that you're just going to fly through it yeah see there's a lot of insight just those few things i mean can you imagine not knowing that and diving in and that's kind of the thing that's pushing off so many people from jumping in, you know, the huge investment, is this going to work? Am I just going to alienate my customers? Am I going to be towing these cars to the dealer and paying for braked modules and programming? And yet it's another sales pitch to get off your tail and network, get to know people, you know, and even if they aren't these big names, there's a lot of people that nobody knows about that are freaking geniuses and really, really nice people. And they will help you out especially if you can help them back sometime, wherever that may be, you you don't know. Most people are pretty much willing to help. And there's a bunch of Facebook groups aimed at programming. Also the vendor, you know, where you buy your equipment from, there's often a lot of support. You buy your stuff from Napa. Usually there's somebody around that can kind of help you out here and there or put you in touch with somebody that could. You buy a piece of equipment from AES Wave. There's people there to help or they will put you in touch with somebody that helped. And then independent sellers, which there's a there's a, a bunch of. So where you buy it also helps immensely. And then like training, right? We get we already talked a little bit about the Napa Autotech training. Also another one I don't think should be ignored is uh, L1 training. Keith Perkins has a website with stuff. It's not a lot of money. Lots of stuff on there. Lots of stuff on there on programming. He keeps adding too, which is fantastic. Yes. The material he's got on there right now is is freaking brilliant. So I think if it's something you're thinking about getting into or are getting into, a subscription to that would definitely pay a huge dividends. I definitely think so too. I browsed it. I seen like my third module that needed programming. You know, I ended up going on the L1 and kind of checking things out. Saying, man, that's something, you know, I get a good tech in here. I can get some breathing room, get some training in. Like, you know, I'm going to really focus hard on what they're offering here and see what else is out there too. And um, I definitely was impressed with their with their site. And then I kind of gave up on the idea, which is a whole nother story. But uh, I'm back at it, looking at it again and uh, getting some wonderful information from you 
and I, I like the idea of what you said too. That just resonates with me. Like pick a line. Let's just start there. Grow. I mean, I think that's a fantastic solution to just get in there and, and start doing something. Yeah. Especially if you could tie it into like Diag. You're seeing these cars regularly anyways, even if you don't have to program them. But now you have the factory scan tool as well. And oftentimes that opens up worlds, you know, not all the time. I don't want to make the OE tools seem like they're always just so great. Sometimes they blow. Sometimes they absolutely suck. And it's better off to go get an aftermarket tool. That's why we have so many aftermarket tools too. Even when you have the OE tool, you got a stack of aftermarket tools because sometimes they do stuff the better than the OE tool does. Oftentimes related to like graphing and watching data, but then there's times where the aftermarket tool doesn't give you certain data that the OE tool does. And, you know, it's a back and forth. And I don't know that there's necessarily a good rule for that other than trial and error. We've been mentioning Chrysler. You had said that that can be a headache and it's not so much a headache. It's expensive. You're going to buy an MDP. That's the interface. And that's the newest interface. That's why I say it. You could probably pick up a Micropod 2 and that might serve you quite well, but there's vehicles that it will not work with. So there you sit, you're looking at an MDP. So you have that expense to program. It's not a subscription. I'm pretty sure it's three subscriptions. You have a tech authority, which is the uh, aftermarket factory website, if you will. So it's not, you know, Chrysler.com. It's tech authority. You need that subscription. Then you need a Ytech 2.0 subscription. That's the software, if you will. And then you have to buy a subscription for the ECU programming. So you're going to have $120 to $150 in subscriptions to program a module. And it works, and it works like gangbusters. And I think when you get it going, it's pretty easy to use. Pretty much does everything for you. I don't think there's much for you to think about, but pay a, a good good deal of money to program module. Some of us small town guys that might listen, they're definitely going to say the same thing. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean I have to pay for that that programming? It's a lot of educating the customers, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not Windows. They're not Microsoft. The updates aren't free. But that is something too that we think about. Like, hey, if we're going to invest this time, this energy, this money, we have to figure out how we're going to advertise it. Figure out how we're going to get the experience so I can go to another shop and say, hey, I'm your solution for this problem. Stop towing it an hour away. I'm right here for you. Again, I guess for smaller smaller shop owners, by the time you see the ROI, there's a lot to consider. But again, I also stand on my statement that if you don't get into this, I, I firmly believe there's not going to be much business for you out there. I mean, I, I think this just has to be done. Yeah, you're going to be subletting a lot. You're going to be relying heavily on the dealer or a mobile tech or another shop to be able to do the uh, programming for you. It's getting to the point with with virtually every module is going to have some sort of programming involved, programming, coding. I, I know there's um, there's entities that will do remote programming where you have either by their system or you have a certain setup and they will log in and do programming. You don't have to go through the BS of subscriptions and maybe owning multiple laptops and all that or buying a laptop that's got a bunch of partitions or anything like that. But you still kind of sack somebody because you you plug your stuff in, you make a phone call or an email or or fill out something online to submit a request. And then sure, you can go do something while you're waiting for somebody to respond. But they respond, now that tech, there is going to be a tech with the car through the programming process because they're going to have to run the key. And depending on what we're programming, right? It, It depends. Uh, They're going to have to get the car set up for programming. Some cars are a little bit different than others. There's good programming habits. One, have a good quality battery maintainer. Not a battery charger, a battery maintainer. Clean DC voltage. And then two is usually you want the car to kind of think it's, I don't want to say like a rest state, but it's going to be usually you trip the door so that it thinks the driver's door is shut with the latch usually. And then another really good idea is to connect the uh, driver's seatbelt. A lot of manufacturers don't require that at all. It's really kind of a BMW thing, but I find myself doing it on everything. It feels like a good habit. And then, of course, the key, you're going to have to have the key on. Maybe a push button start, but you know what I mean. Somebody's going to be standing there waiting while the 
you know, remote tech is doing their thing. And it's like, okay, can you cycle the key off, cycle the key on? Okay, we got done. Now we need to do a parameter reset or we need to add keys or we need to do this. Do you have two keys? Do you have a key? Do you? And now the real only difference is you could have had to train tech, do all of that. Didn't need the remote service at all. Because you had most of the equipment anyways, right? You buy the wrap system, you've got a J box. So now you just need a little bit of know-how and yeah, you probably get your butt handed to, to you a couple times. But you know, if you've got a good battery maintainer and good programming habits, I'm probably going to sentence everybody listening to this that their very first module, they will brick just for saying this, but it just doesn't happen. If you're doing things the right way, using a quality interface, you know, Cardac, I think is overwhelmingly accepted as let's just say recognized or verified interfaces by the manufacturers. And the snap-on one is a rebadged Cardac or Drew Tech. But it's also kind of like scan tools too. Sometimes you want to have a multiple J-boxes around just in case because the Cardac won't work and won't work. And I went and grabbed, you know, whatever, the Autel, and boom, goes right through. So you might have a J-box in your shop right now. It's the interface for your aftermarket scan tool. You know, we have mostly domestic vehicles. I went the snap-on route. Not sure that was the smartest move I could have did. I don't know which snap-on you bought. It'd be very hard to spend the money on the the flagship stuff. I bought the Zeus. I I did get a good deal because they gave me bad information when I bought the Triton um, on the capabilities. Um, They accidentally represented it could do things it couldn't do. And so they did take care of me when they upgraded me rather well, but still. And then right after that, I seen other alternatives. There's another company that's kind of taken industry by storm. You mentioned earlier, you know, Top Don. Then when it came to lab scopes, there's other options out there. And For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa Autotech training available near you. Napa Autotech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind... Napa Autotech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Autotech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Autotech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Autotech offers, contact NapaAutotech.com. The broken thinking, not not in your situation, I'm not saying your thinking was broken, but it, that I see out there is there's this idea that we need to buy a scan tool and that will cover us. Already you're, you're setting up to fail. I don't care what one you buy. You're pretty much doomed unless, unless you only work on one car line or a couple of car lines and then you know the coverage from that aftermarket tool is such that you will be covered. But most of us, there isn't one. The soulless will do, the scan tool functions will do everything you need it to do that the Zeus will do. You can record and upload it to ShopStream Connect and look at, you know, I think 16 graphs at once. You don't have to go blow a ton of money. I still feel like every independent shop should have a snap-on scan tool. Maybe not the Zeus, but a Solus or... um like even the modus or yeah yeah so i I think there's room you're always going to run into it where this tool won't do it that tool will you know you got a snap on then you you should have uh you know the lower end one hopefully you have enough budget because if you're looking at the 
the Zeus or the Zeus Plus, the money you saved going with, you know, we'll just pick on the Solus. It doesn't have to be that. It could be the one for up, but I don't think it's Triton. I thought there was another one in there. You have money now to pick yourself up like an auto, you know, the MS-909, the Top Done, you know, Phoenix Plus, and maybe even both because yet again, you have that issue where you have these three and you're going to go try to, you know, calibrate a seat weight sensor on a Honda and it won't, you know, you grab the Autel because it's been, I mean, rock solid for you. It's your favorite tool. Won't do it. Oh, what the hell? And you go grab the top done and you hook it up and it won't do it. And you're like, oh no, is this a dealer only thing? And the freaking Snap-on does it. Right. Yeah, they throw some curves, don't they? <laughs> it goes the other way probably more often. Probably more often the Snap-on won't do it. Autel, top done, no problem. Boom, done. I don't know. There's some industry buzz on the domestic top down struggling a little bit on some of that. We'll see what happens, but they do so much on the foreign. That's what have really helped me. Just like what you said, an old Solus or Modus, I should have grabbed. This was kind of before Top Don was making the buzz. I would have loved to grab one of them, but an Autel and maybe a Pico is how I wish I would have went. There's just so much, so many Pico users or so much support. They have the auto specific stuff. You have waveforms there. Um, it's like language, right? I mean, everybody talks Pico. You know, so a lot of people say, you know, if you're new, go with snap on it. And I see the value in it. It does help you on the guided stuff. It does give you a waveform and then it stops, you know. So when you start advancing, it's like, wait a minute, you know, I could have advanced better had I just went straight with the Pico. I'm going to go against a lot of what the advice out there is. You know, you're going to be doing this. You're going to be doing it for years. I think go go right away with. I think a lot of that, too, is fear, you know, and it's not to dump on the snap on scopes. I mean, there's, they're fine. They're going to work. But I think a lot of times it's that fear that's using a lab scope is so difficult and you're very awkward because it's new. I think it's just over time that you, you get a little bit of comfort and then you realize it wasn't so bad. And if you're hanging out in forums or uh, on pages where there's high end tech showing you high end things, you start to get this idea that the stuff you're going to be looking at is going to be literally looking for these little anomalies. I think that does not represent day in day out use of a scope. You're not nitpicking waveforms. It's really Sesame street. One of these things is not like the other. If you're scoping an ignition coil, most likely there's three more to compare to or five more or seven more. Okay. You don't have to have this known good pattern memorized. Or through time, just understanding electricity to a degree even, you can kind of look at the waveform and look at its behavior and go, okay, I know what it's doing. I see. You know, if you're scoping a blend air door motor, like you can see like, okay, here's the signal from the HVAC control module or from the control head. I'm changing the temperature and I'm watching this blend air door move and I can see the position sensor sweep. You don't need to know a whole lot. You don't need somebody to set that up for you. If you're looking at the wiring schematic and you see that this sensor is getting five volts to it, you probably don't need an auto setup. You can probably figure out to set the scope up to see five volts very clearly. And I'm probably biased. Pico is so good that it hides a lot of mistakes. If you're using very poor scope habits, it will still get you a very, very usable waveform. The thing that I think that just helps the the new guy you're all over the internet looking at scope stuff. You see Pico everywhere and you're understanding what they're talking about because you have the same software and you, you know, everything that, that they're showing you on their, on their case study, you, that's what you're doing every day. Snap on users, scope users. We have to now translate it over a little bit. And does it hinder me very much? You know, personally, no, at first it did. It was kind of freaky. Now I, it, it's not a big deal anymore. But as for pushing people up upwards and then like, okay, if I want to get in the ring with the big dog so I can learn a little more, we'll just say, you know, and like, hey, you know, and I'm looking at these case studies or I got something here and, you know, send the file. And then when they're talking to me about it or I'm talking to them, we're again, you know, we're just talking the same language right away. And I think that would help guys learn faster. I really do. So that's why I take a different approach. I was always told start start with the snap on scope uh, for user friendliness. And I don't want to say it's bad advice. It's it's not. Depending on how far back we go, 
kind of in around like the first modus, it wasn't that far off from like the Pico. You know, Pico had just come out really with the, um, it would have been the 3423. And side by side, Pico was faster, but they had the uh, same memory, you know, the sample point memory or same buffer size. They're the same vertical resolution. Pico was a little bit faster. But then when they came out with that 4000 series, they really just blew everyone else out of the water. There was nothing else aimed at auto technicians that held a candle to it. I don't think it's being biased. I think the numbers alone, you can look at it and they've just gotten faster and more memory and faster and more memory. And, you know, then it's not even the dump on other scopes. It's just, I think they're the bar. It doesn't mean something below the bar doesn't work. There's a lot of people out there using snap-on scopes very successfully. There's a lot of people out there using Autel scopes very successfully. So it's not really to crap on anything else. Yeah, and I, I like my my Zeus for that. I like using the scope on it. I mean, it is very intuitive. It's quick, fast. One-man shop speed was everything for me. So anything that saved me time. Um, was a huge deal because I, you know, I had to deal with customers half the day. So, you know, I really had like four hours. Otherwise, I'm staying late. So, I'm trying to cut down how late am I staying tonight, you know, to get everything done. And so, anything that saved me time was a bonus. And so, that's one thing that I definitely applaud Snap On on. You know, a lot of people think, you know, it's a crutch or it's this or it's that. Well, how are you using it? Are you using it to save time, but you're still taking the time to understand your systems and what's going on? Or are you just using it in a part swapper mentality for the tech that's not trying to use it as a crutch, but he's trying to be efficient? You know, I think it's a wonderful tool. It, it really is. So, you know, that's why I was saying, like, I want to be careful about brand bashing. I just think they serve different markets in different ways kind of thing or different needs. Yeah, if we go back far enough, I can remember they would have the Vantage, the old Vantage, Snap-on Vantage. And like a Fluke 9798. The Fluke was a better scope, but they would use the Vantage to tell them where to hook up and then give them an idea for the settings. You could still do that. You know, you could bust out your Virus and help you set up your Pico uh, if you so wanted. At least, you know, they give you the diagrams a lot of times, the connector diagrams, and give you ideas of where you can get this signal. You know, do you have to go right to the sensor? Can you go to the module or is there a connector? And eventually you find you're just going to be using wiring schematics and you kind of have an idea what you're looking for and it just gets easier. You know, starting out, you should try to use it every day, but I think you get into, depending on the kind of problems that you're seeing regularly, there might be days where you're, you don't have the scope out. It just doesn't fit what you're doing. Those days suck. <laughs> <laughs> For the programming stuff, I, I kind of mentioned it, the PC situation. You know, nobody's at battle over it, but I think there's two schools of thought. One is, and it's the one I do, and I'm not saying it's the right way at all, but I buy refurbished laptops, and I have a laptop pretty much for every car line. And I'm paying $250, $300 per laptop. You know, I found a guy who has Lenovo's. They got you know, newer generation i5, Intel i5 processors, 8 to 16 gigabytes of RAM, and a solid state drive, usually 256 gig. Offhand, I can't think of a car line that really needs bigger, but I'm sure there is. Usually, go to those websites we talked about, which you find on nastuff.org or OEM One Stop. And I think it's OEM, the number one, stop.com. Or you just Google OEM one stop, it'll take you where you need to go. Those websites will have like minimum system requirements and you can click on that. I wouldn't try to get one that meets the minimum. I would get one that exceeds it quite handily. And most stuff I think is still kind of wanting Windows 10 Pro. Kind of stick with that, at least for now. Like you can pick up these refurbished laptops, I'm sure nationwide, two, three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars. And for me, at that price, I'm okay buying multiple ones. The other idea is you find somebody or do it yourself, buy a laptop that either you can flip-flop hard drives out of quite quickly and easily uh, or a laptop with a massive solid-state drive. And the reason I say solid-state drive, I think anybody would tell you to go with solid-state drive is your boot-up times are so much faster. You know, computer speed, if you will is so much faster. 
and then you partition it. And that's basically dividing up that hard drive, driving up that space where this one computer will act like multiple computers. When you boot it up, it'll go to a screen where now you can click which partition to use. So maybe you have a GM one, a Ford one, a Toyota one, a Nissan one, a BMW one, a Volvo one, whatever. And then you click on that and we'll open up that partition and it has that software on there ready to go. It's six of one, half a dozen of the other, which way you want to go. I can see the value in keeping things separate too, especially if you're getting the, the laptops, like the way you're buying them. That's, that's pretty smart too. I can see the value in that. And there's people out there that will sell you laptops kind of set up, ready to go. Isaac Rodell does it. And there's others. I mean, there's multiples that you can go out and then however much money and it shows up kind of ready to go. Or you're going to have to plunk down your money, you know, and set up username and passwords and all that. But the laptop's ready to go. Just so people don't think they have to go out and buy this hardcore gaming computer which are fun to use they're really fast but you don't you don't need it it's just not that taxing i'm trying to think what else is worth covering i guess there's just car lines that um if you can get the oe interface just i would not mess around bmw comes to mind the uh, icoms but again intergalactic back order the autoland scientech iscan series iscan 3s whether the sf or the full bloat iScan 3 will emulate an ICOM. The ICOM is the interface quite well. So if you really need it, that is a way to go. You know, a really, really powerful uh, aftermarket scan tool along with it. Something to consider. But, you know, if you can pick up an ICOM, and it's technically, I think, an ICOM A next, that's really the way to go. And they're not that expensive. BMWs can be finicky. Mercedes, I don't... OE is brutally expensive and j2534 i don't know if it even works yet yet anymore i think they had a, a run where it was kind of working and then not working and then they took it offline and then they brought it back and it worked and it didn't work and that's one if you're going to work on those you might as well just get zentry pay yeah what does the conversation look like i guess you know it's going to vary if it's for a customer walking through your shop doors or or another shop i guess another shop would be pretty darn understanding you run into something, the equipment I have is not going to program this. You know, what do you do at that point? What if it tried or something? It tried, you know, you're trying and now we don't know, you know, did we cause an issue here or not? And what does that experience look like? Luckily, extremely rare. If I can't do it, that might be more common than something going so sideways. I bricked an instrument cluster on a GM and I don't know why. I have not bricked that many modules. I mean, it's very low. I bricked the BMW cast module because I was screwing around. So I, I earned that. Seth reminds me a lot about it. Does he? <laughs> he's right, but he's right. You know, I had it coming. Like stuff going really sideways is pretty darn rare. To be more uh, open about it, I had used Nissan R2R successfully for a couple of years. And then I got these vehicles in, they're like 2020, 2021s. And I'm pretty sure that the Nissans I had done before that successfully also had secure gateways. So I don't think that that was the issue. These two vehicles, Nissan R2R left me hanging. It took the OE tool interface to get them done. In a situation where another shop would have sent them to me, I mean, you just got to be honest. Like I, I can't, I, I mean, I messed around with it. I've followed my procedures. It should work. It's not working. It could be on their end. I guess it could be on my end. You know, there's times with GM, right? You're going to program a GM usually on a Friday afternoon shops like, Hey, could you quit program this for me? Yeah, no problem. Yeah. You just sealed your fate. Tech line connect. They'll be down or, or something's funky going on. And all you can do is level with them. I think it's on their end. You know, you can try to call tech support, but usually if it's on their end, good luck. They're, they're getting flooded with calls. Maybe look at some of your forums, uh, uh, Facebook groups, see if there's other people saying like, hey, is anyone else struggling with TLC? Yep. Okay. It's probably on their end. And then you just level with them. You tell them it's, you know, on their end, you're going to have to wait. Or, you know, I, I've had luck programming these before, but it is not working. And, you know, it might be where I'm going to have to change equipment, but I can't get this one done for you. 
I think you just level with people. Is it good going into the job to not market yourself as the answer to their solution, but an answer then sort of disclaimer up front at all? Like, we'll see if we can get this done for you or. I don't assume that it won't work. That's the thing. I'm really trying to help remove fear because usually it works. If you have the an interface that's, you know, a quality interface, you've downloaded their software, you know, that contains the drivers. You've downloaded and you've paid your money and you follow the directions, usually it works. I'm starting to see this mental comparison in my head where briefly back to the scope and you see all these crazy case studies and these weird things and people struggling and struggling. My day in and out is I hook up the scope. I see a red flag right there. Pack up, done. Diagnostics is done. More times than not, you know, and so maybe this programming, I'm, I'm kind of hearing from you too, is like we're uh, as an outsider looking in when the information comes and, and people that are users, um, they're probably not going to sit there and talk about the day to day. It's going to be the anomalies they're going to speak up on. And so I'm catching that. I'm kind of seeing that similarity, how it was when I first picked up a scope. It's like, how am I ever going to get it through all this crazy advanced stuff? And it's, that's rare. It's rare that it comes up and it's great to have that community out there when it does come up. But, and we can't forget the car itself. I gave two possibilities. It's on the OE side, the programming system or something's wrong with what I'm doing or maybe my interface, not saying it's broken, but there's something going on here. I can't forget the car. Like how, what's the situation that's arisen where they're like, they've diagnosed this module's bad. Well, the assumption is they diagnosed it properly. So all you know is here's the new one. Here's the old one. You're probably not going to re-diagnose it for them. That would be a big loss. So you're following whatever the procedure is for replacing that module. So if that module that they deemed as bad communicates right now, there may be such kind of an inhale, exhale thing going on where it sucks some data out of the old module, then it tells you to plug the new module in, and then you exhale that information and maybe update the firmware and boom, it's done. But if they misdiagnosed it, depending on the situation, <laughs> it might not be your issue or the on the OE end, it's the car, the car is broken. A lot of times what happens is that really leads into, well, we kind of thought that that might be it, or we had read somewhere online that that might be it, or there was a TSB on that module, but it doesn't have really anything to do with the symptom. What would it cost for you to just kind of take a look at it? And it might turn into a diagnostic job for you. Yeah, because if I drove over there and you took your time, now you can't complete the task, you're out that time and money, that's going to sour things for you, right? I personally have a very rough time ever telling anyone that I am like the solution for anything because if I tell somebody like, hey, you know, Riverside is the place, we can handle that brake job, no problem. You know darn well it's going to hell in a handbasket. Yep, yep, absolutely. I'm terrified to say that. (laughs) I don't treat programming any different than I would diagnostics or brake jobs or, you know, usually my standard response to people is one way or another. You think you could maybe figure out this problem one way or another and kind of leave it up to hopefully I get it done. Maybe it'll be messy, but I'm going to give it my best. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging. <laughs> right, right. It's hard for me to ever be that overly confident. Can we get this car in? Could you maybe program? We put a new blah, blah, blah in it. It's like, yeah, I'm sure I could brick it today. Yeah. that's how i answer that (laughs) and then when it actually happens i can be like well i i told you (laughs) oh my god yeah it would be great if it was only that easy right (laughs) the gm instrument cluster i bricked for the life of me i don't know why i i don't know why i still have it i'm gonna try to see if i can save it for fun just see if i can do it but i just went and got him a different uh, instrument cluster and made it work yeah, I have a bad taste in my mouth from one of them, too. I had an Escalade come in the shop. They had check engine light. And I said, hey, right away, your your instrument cluster's acting crazy. It's going to die. Any second. I don't know if it's going to be in my shop or when you go, when it goes home or whatever. This thing's on borrowed time. Might be the problem. I haven't even hooked a tool yet up. But I'm not buying you a cluster. <laughs> you know? So had this communication, this, the, the CYA conversation. I can't even remember what the heck was wrong with the car. Anyways, the cluster goes out. While it's in the shop. 
course. I, I pulled it in into the garage and it just goes black. This is before I even, you know, worked on anything else. It was coming in for intermittent no start. And I think I want to say it was like a, a bad connection and a weak starter, if I remember right. So anyways, the thing dies, I call them, haven't even touched the car yet. It went black. I don't know if it's going to go, you know, life's going to come back to it or not. Has this happened? They said, no, it just flashes and stuff. Great. So we proceed to get it to be able to start and then all that kind of stuff. And they take it and they say, you know, we're probably just going to trade it in. Don't worry about it. It's probably going to come on. And then guy got Facebook bashed. Well, I brought my Cadillac there and now the cluster's dead. And anyways, <laughs> you know, I should have just bought him a damn cluster in hindsight, but. I don't know if it's quite 20 years, but it's pushing 20 years that I've been programming. And I can think of two modules legitimately bricked. It was me screwing around. One of them, I have no idea why. And I think one other one isn't technically bricked. Uh, It was a Saturn body control module. And for some reason that yet I don't understand what I was doing, I punched in the wrong mileage for the odometer. I have no idea. Like, it's so dumb. At the time, for my skill set, my skill level, I had to get another body control module and make sure I put the right mileage in there. Now, maybe, maybe I could have figured out how to rewrite it or virginize it or something like that. Maybe. I don't want to oversell that either. Or maybe I know somebody that could have helped me out. But at the time, it was, yeah, it was done. It was one and done. There's no rewriting it. That's quite a few years ago. That was long before I knew anything about or or even heard of like EEPROM and stuff like that. So I hope I answered a bunch of questions and yeah, definitely gave some good insight and gave me some good, uh, you know, kind of just revealed some similar past experiences to where you make me think of my old boss, my first boss I had when he was going down memory lane, telling me everybody was freaked out when disc brakes came out. And I laughed and thought that was so silly, but yeah, here, you know, here I am looking at it the same way, you know, a lot of fear. It's hard when your name's on the door though, too, you're responsible for, for everything and the investment you have to tell the wife, well, you know, we've spent all this money and we haven't really got a return on it, you know? So there's a lot of, a lot of fear out there when I think you're, you did a pretty darn good job of making me, uh, get a little more realistic look at, at what's going on. Yeah, and I think as you have the capability to do it, you find yourself doing it more often. You know, when you're always looking for ways not to program, like at the last line of the uh, installation instructions is program module, but you plugged it in and it starts and it runs and everything works, eh, maybe I won't program it. Or it's just just as easy to, you know, have the apprentice run it over to the dealer or call up the, the mobile tech to stop by and they program it and hand you the the bill and it's less headache for you. I get it. But programming is something you're interested in. I wouldn't fear it. You know, get yourself a good battery maintainer. There's a lot of them out there. Top Dunn makes one. Uh, Clores makes a really good one. Uh, Schumacher, some people love, some people hate. Uh, Power Max. There's a lot of them, right? Get a good battery maintainer. Get a laptop. Just if you want to start out, either seek somebody out that builds these laptops Pay them the money, have it set up for the car lines you think you're going to work on or program even if you don't have the interface just yet. And now you have this laptop, probably some support or just get yourself a nice refurbished laptop with uh, that meets you know, or really exceeds the minimum specs uh, on those websites for whatever car line you're looking at. Get the appropriate interface. If the factory interface is available you know, oftentimes is same or less money than the J2534 tool, you know, get it. And you work on those cars anyways for diagnostics, get the factory interface. Not so uh, available. You plan on doing multiples right off the bat and they all look like they're supported by one interface. And it's, you know, not even an advertisement. I think it's just generally accepted. Drutex, Cardac, Cardac Plus 3. You get that guy and then pick up some training. And I think, you know, if you're affiliated as a NAP Auto Care, you have the, the that catalog of training. I think Advance has something similar. World Pack maybe has something similar. L1 training. Keith has got a heck of a amount of data there. Scanner Danner. There's resources out there. Get uh, hooked up into some Facebook groups. Hang out. Be friendly. Be willing to help. 
and, uh, you know, coach you through it. I wouldn't fear it. You know, the first few are going to be awkward. You're going to feel every button you touch is doing something wrong. It's going to melt the laptop down and light the car on fire. A lot of times I ask myself before I hit a button, it's like, eh, what's the worst that could happen? I just ask myself if I can pay for whatever's going to happen. And if the answer <laughs> is yes, I go. <laughs> so I just feel very strongly that when the stuff goes sideways, the reasons are usually bad habits or just bad luck. And usually it's bad habits. Didn't have a good maintainer on there. You didn't have it at the voltage it should have been at. One of those car lines, probably more on the Euro world, maybe Nissan. Some people will probably bark at me that they all they have ever done is Nissan R2R. Nothing but good luck. Great. But most of them, you know, if they say they support that interface, like the Drew Tech, you're probably good to go. And follow good habits. Follow the instructions pick up some training, you're, I, I think you'll be just fine. Sounds good. I uh, yeah, definitely appreciate uh, being here and getting this information with you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for bringing it up. I mean, I, I would have never thought to do anything like this and, until you said something. So, yeah. Hopefully it helps some other people, you know, out there to maybe in a similar situation or you answered a lot of questions, you know, that put things into perspective. I mean, definitely kind of eased my, some of my concerns you know, and help give me a realistic view. This is what I'm going to be dealing with or facing. And it was, it was definitely uh, something I wish happened a long time ago. So hopefully this, ha- this helps somebody. It leads to the if though, right? Maybe <laughs> the next show, the big if. <laughs> well, no, we'll do this show, the follow-up where you brick a module, the first one you did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do the first few minutes of you just yelling at me and <laughs> that mad, mad Poslo. <laughs> he told no, you'll see the tow we're not that far apart. You'll see the tow truck pull up. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is he doing? <laughs> I thought he had a podcast. He's doing videos now. <laughs> yeah. We'll get a hold of uh Hagen and and, and uh Paul Danner and tell them there's a big hockey tournament there so I can get them there too. <laughs> Maybe they'll show up and we'll just have this big U2 event, right? Is Glenn hog tying Matt with a car deck too? What? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> It'd be fun. But no, no, the big if is the, uh, I don't know for a spoiler alert, how you want me to word it, but remember we were talking about the other employment deals. So that I'm still going to, I'm going to do some, some kind of programming regardless how that goes. At least one car line, probably GM and Ford. Although I'd probably make more money on Chrysler around here, honestly. Their modules around here seem to seem to fail more often. Yeah, that ties into how deep to go. And you threw a curve at me earlier too. ADOS. It ties into this eventually somehow. It's one of the markets that I, I don't know how long it will last, but right now I think it's a, a good good gig to get into if you have shops that aren't aren't going to get into it, can't get into it, you know, space. Space is an issue, and if they don't have the space, they're in trouble. So you can be that helping hand, right? If they're thinking about how it's going to cost them, they're thinking about it wrong. It's going you're going to help them, and hopefully both of you can make money, and you're properly servicing a vehicle. Win for everyone. It really is. It's hard to get people to think about that sometimes because it's new. They're looking at how much it costs to get done. They're looking at the cost of the equipment, cost of the space. You know, if you're the one acquiring the space and the tooling, you certainly can't do it for free, but you really shouldn't be sending these cars out the door not properly repaired either. Because when do we get our version of the John Eagle case? I don't know, you know, and I don't want to be the shop that does. Somebody else can somebody else can take that on. Yeah, I definitely don't want that. It's not if, it's when. Well, thank you again for coming on, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. I taking the time to do all that for us and everything you know this show and and all that's a really awesome thing man so thank you for having me again i mean i could have been outside mowing i guess (laughs) yeah well i got you out of mowing okay so this wasn't free awesome (laughs) i gotta find a kid to assign this to (laughs) thank you everyone for listening uh if you have any ideas or uh, comments feedback on the podcast please don't hesitate to reach out i'm pretty easy to find on social media otherwise you can email me at matt fonslow podcast at gmail.com and until next time everyone take care you've been listening to matt fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket a to z on the aftermarket radio network 
Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.